How to be like God. It's going to be a great topic, I think, and I think this moment that we spend together can be helpful to you to be more like God. There was a little girl in Sunday school or class, and she was drawing with her crayons, and the teacher came by and said, Sweetheart, what are you drawing? And she said, Oh, I'm drawing a picture of God. And the teacher, of course, wanting to be appropriate, said, Well, honey, don't you know that uh, nobody knows what God looks like? And the little girl never missed a beat. She kept drawing, and she said, Oh, they will when I get done. Now, that's a great story. I think it says a lot of things to us. But what is God like? How can we describe God? In your worship folder, there is this sheet that is filled with blanks. And I want you to pay very close attention today, and I'll try to be careful, but we're going to talk about who God is and who God is not, but let's start with the not. God is not, and if you would write in three letters, W-H-O. I'm going to read this so I get it right, but God is not who you think. Listen closely, beware. There is God... And there is who we think God is. They are not the same. I hope you understand that. There is God, and there is who we think God is, but they are not the same. Now, let me give you a couple of examples. There is within our society the idea that God is much like Santa Claus. At Christmas time, we take our children to the mall, and they go and they sit on Santa's lap, and what do they say? The little girl sits down and she says, I want a pink iPod. And what does she get? She gets a pink iPod. Santa gives us what we want. And we learn that from childhood up. We get what we want from Santa. And there are some folks who go to God like Santa Claus and we really think God is there to give me what I want. So we tell God, I need this, I want that. And it's very common in our culture. And I actually think we've probably all done We think of God as Santa Claus. Now, when I put it like this, you're a little uncomfortable, I hope. But nevertheless, there is that idea, God's up there to give me what I want. And so we ask. Another perspective on God that's very common, and I suspect we've all done this, is that not so much like Santa Claus, but God is like a pawn broker. I heard recently, because of the increase in gas here in the country, that the pawn shops are doing a great business. You know how to do business at a pawn shop? Let's say you've run out of money, but you need uh, gas for your car, and you're not going to get paid for another week, so you go get your nice guitar. And you go down to the pawn shop, and you say, how much will you give me for this? And he says, oh, I'll give you 100 bucks." And you say, $100? And you begin to negotiate. And finally, you get $350 for your guitar. You leave it with the pawnbroker, and if you want to go back and pay maybe $400, you can get it back. But you've negotiated a deal. And there are many of us that pray to God and we sort of negotiate, God, I'll do this for you if you'll do that for me. It's a little bit like another TV show. Deal or no deal? And we pray to God that way. Lord God, here's what I need. And we really think of God as a pawnbroker. I'm going to make a deal with God. Now let me, let me give you a dirty little secret. Here's the problem with that. You know what? Are you sitting down? Yes, you are. Take a deep breath. You don't have anything God wants. You have nothing God wants. That's the truth. 
if God is God, the Creator God, what can you give to God that God needs or wants? And so I want to begin by saying God is not who you think God is. And oftentimes in our prayer life, in more subtle ways than perhaps I've mentioned, but we think of God as Santa Claus, he's going to give me what I need or want. Or I'm going to strike a bargain with God, I'm going to negotiate with God, and I'm going to get this for that. And I just want to put it right out there at the outset, that's not how we're talking about God today. Those are bad images of God. God is not like that. So how can we describe God? And I want to give you two words. Much more could be said, but this is a start. And the first word is this, God is creator. That's starting pretty basic, isn't it? God is creator. And this morning, that's the first word I want to put in our brains about God. Let's put some scriptures up on the screen, and we'll read them together, about the idea of God as creator. Read this with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First lines of the Bible. From the New Testament... For from him and in him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, Sherry, leave that up there a minute. Who's the him? God. Yeah. Let me read it with the noun in it now. And think about this. We're talking about who is God. Well, we can say this much. God is creator. For from God and in God... And to God are all things. To God be the glory forever. It's all God. And the one thing we can say for sure is that God is creator. Now, there's another blank. It says God gives you, and I'd like you to write in the word breath. God gives you breath. In Genesis chapter 2, we read these words. For the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And we all know that verse. We are familiar with the fact that God breathed life into Adam, and he became a living soul. But the idea is this. Did God just do that for Adam, and somehow we've inherited life from Adam? You know, the life of Adam is passed on to us, so God doesn't have anything to do with it. Or, are you breathing right now as you sit there because God gives you breath? You see, you're breathing right now, not because God breathed into Adam, but because God gives you breath right now. You have life from God. God is creator. And this universe, all that we understand that's material, is from God. God sustains it. No God, it all ends. It's not just wound up and running, it's sustained by God. And I remind you that the moment you breathe your last breath, And the preacher says the words of the psalmist, he will say, the Lord gives, and what? The Lord takes, blessed be the name of the Lord. Our life is from God. God is creator. And so this morning, as we sit here and worship, and come in from the busyness of our lives, I remind you, that's what we believe. God is creator. And we, our very breath is from the Lord. He has given us life. So, what can we say about God? Well, we can give one least, one basic answer. God is creator. God gives us life. Our very life comes from God. Secondly, God is redeemer. God is redeemer. And those are the two words I want to focus on today. God is creator. He gives us life. God is redeemer. God gives us 
new life. And that's the second thing you can fill in there. God gives us new life. He's Redeemer, and He gives us new life. Now, creation ain't what it used to be, is it? Sorry about the grammar, but... uh, it's like in the movie and uh, in real life, you know, the good ship Apollo radios back, Houston, we've got a problem. And we might say, Earth to heaven, we've got a problem. What's the problem? This world's broken. There's something wrong here. There's something dreadfully wrong. If you don't see that, my friend, you're just as blind as a bat. You're broken, I'm broken, this whole world is broken. Travel to Congo and you'll realize that. Just listen to Miriam a moment and you understand that. Watch the news. Open the paper. There's something wrong. What's the problem? What's wrong? Well, I went up to Idlewild a few weeks ago with my grandkids, the two of us, and we went camping and there was this beautiful stream behind our campsite and we listened to the water gurgle down from the rocks all night long, but we didn't drink the water. Out of the San Jacinto Mountains, why not? Polluted. If you want to go exercise in L.A., you better check the smog alert. There are some days you just might not want to go running. We're all told to eat more fish, but what? Be careful. There's chemicals in the fish. You might want to watch out for that. What's wrong with our world? Did God create it like that? I don't think so. It's broken. There's something wrong in our world. And there's something wrong in our lives. And we know that. And so that's why God comes and gives new life. God didn't create evil. God is working to overcome the evil in our world and in our lives, and He does that through Jesus Christ. And we can say that for sure about God. That's what the book teaches us. Now, you might say to me, um, well, let's read the Scripture. God is Redeemer, and there's this Scripture as well that talks about sin and what God has done. For there is no distinction... Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I just want to point out one word, gift. We are justified by God's grace as a gift God gives. And this morning, I'm emphasizing this characteristic of God. We all know God is love. I don't think we think so much about God as giver. But God is the giver of life. And God is the giver of new life. And if you're sitting here all broken up this morning, turn to God because God is on your side, God is good, and God will help you. Because God is always interested in our good and our welfare. God would never try to hurt you. And so God gives us new life. He gives us these gifts. Um, I've got a quote in there at the end of the page. In relationship to God, nothing is our own achievement. (laughs) We need to remember that. That's a great statement. In relationship to God, nothing is our own achievement. Now, I want to look at a, a different direction. We've been looking up. Let's look out. Let's talk about us, people, human beings, men and women. What about you? What can we say about you and me? Well, I came across a book review and decided I'd better buy this book and... uh, It's by Dr. Miroslav Volf. He used to teach at Fuller. He's now at Yale. And it's called Free of Charge. I kind of like the title. Free of Charge. And he's writing about the fact that God is a giver. And that's one way we can understand God. Now, as we think about giving and giving gifts, that's a huge topic. You can write a book about it. Some people can. 
But let me read a little bit of story that gets kind of at some of these issues. It's a fairy tale. There were two brothers. One was rich and the other poor. The poor one was a peasant and toiled while tilling the land, growing turnips and other vegetables. As it happened, one of his turnips grew so enormous that it took a cart drawn by two oxen to transport it. He didn't want to eat it, and he didn't want to sell it, so he decided to give it as a present to the king. The king marveled at this extraordinary object and suggested the peasant must be very lucky. Oh, no, said the peasant. Lucky I certainly am not. I'm a poor man tilling the earth. I have nothing, and I am forgotten by all. The king pitied the man and gave him plenty of gold, land, fields, and flocks. When his wealthier brother heard of the riches his poor sibling had acquired with a single turnip, he envied him and pondered how he might acquire even more wealth than his brother. Instead of a single turnip, the brother presented to the king gold and horses, hoping for a larger gift than his brother's in return. The king took the present, the fairy tale continues, saying that he could give the man in return nothing rarer or better than the huge turnip. So the rich brother had to put his brother's turnip into a cart and have it taken home. (laughs) Okay, what do you do with that? Well, I'm not going to do anything with it. I'm going to keep reading. Uh, One way to read the story would be to say that the poor brother gave a selfless gift to the king and received a fortune in return. That's a great way to read it. His older and wealthier sibling wanted to enrich himself by giving a gift and ended up with a more or less worthless object. Alternatively, we could also question the purity of the poor brother's gift. With his extraordinary turnip, he may have tried to ingratiate himself to the king and succeeded. He wasn't giving to honor the king, but to manipulate him in giving in return. He was as selfishly as his brother, but was simply shrewder. Under the guise of giving, they were both possibly trying to get. And I'll conclude with this statement. We give gifts in many situations and for many purposes, And like the gifts of one or both brothers, many of them aren't gifts at all. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk about us. I'm going to describe us in three ways, and this is taken from uh, Professor Volf and some of his research. But the one way to describe us as takers, you are a taker. That's true, you are a taker. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's talking about their new life in Jesus Christ, and he's trying to encourage them and give them very specific instructions. How do you live as a Christian? As a follower of Jesus, how do you live? And in this chapter, Paul is kind of talking about the old life, that is pre-Christ. You lived one way. Now that you're a Christian, you're supposed to live another way. That's the old life and the new life. Now in John, John would use something like, You were once in darkness, but now you're in light. And so the point is there's a difference between the before Christ days and the after Christ days. And Paul's talking about this throughout this chapter very intentionally. How are we to live? And in chapter 4, he notes that we are takers. In fact, 
Let me read some from chapter 4, beginning with verse 17. Paul says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. In other words, as we follow Christ, there are some things we stop doing. And if you would say, well, my life after Jesus, you know, I got saved, it's no different than it was before, my friend. (laughs) You're not living the life of Christ. You just can't be. Because you were in darkness, now you're in light. There's a change. So, Paul mentions that and says that you no longer live as the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Now, here's the point. However, you did not come to know Christ that way. There's a difference now. Well, what's the difference? Well, down in verse 28, he he talks about the difference at length, but I want to kind of leapfrog down uh, to verse 28, and let's put this scripture up on the the screen. It's a long one. (laughs) Thieves must give up stealing. Yeah. If you come to Christ and you've been a chronic thief or a little thief or a big thief, what are you supposed to do? Stop stealing. Now, I said a moment ago that you and I are takers. Thieves are a classic example of takers. But we begin life as takers. Look at a two-year-old. That's all they do is take. Their world revolves around them. They're purebred takers. And we've all been there. Now, not only are two-year-olds takers, but uh, let's, let me just read through a list I was thinking about this week. Kenneth Lay has been in the news. He sold stock to Enron. Uh, he sold his Enron stock. I think I read it was $70 million of stock that he sold and reaped that benefit, all the while telling his employees, this is great stock, don't sell it. And he did many other things to manipulate that country to gain wealth for himself at the expense of others. He's a taker. Thieves, of course, are takers. They take what's not theirs. When you slip a pen into your pocket from work and walk home with it, you're a taker. When you run off many copies of your tax returns at the machine at work and you don't have permission to do that, you are a taker. When you fill out your income tax incorrectly and actually don't report all your income, you are a taker. The one Paul's talking about in 428. Not only that, when a man forces a woman to have sex with her and she doesn't want to, you're a taker. That's called rape. There are so many ways in our society that we take. When the clerk gives you too much money and you walk out and you realize, I've got an extra $5 here. What's her mistake? You're taking from the store. You're a taker. Now let me put it in another way. None of us here gave to build this building or any of this. We walk in and enjoy it. We say, wow, that's cool. But we didn't give. We're simply taking. Now, through the years, many of you have given generously and sacrificially so that the building's still here and it's painted and the ministry goes forward, the ministry of the church. But this much I know. There are takers even here. Some who have worshipped for years at this church and given nothing or very, very little. But you enjoy all the benefits of the church. And you're a taker. So one way to describe ourselves is as takers. Now, there's another word I want you to write down here, and that's the word getter. 
G-E-T-T-E-R. I know it doesn't sound good at First Baptist Pasadena, but you're a getter. Would you say that with me? Getter. What do we mean by getter? Well, Paul says in the middle of verse 28, he talks about the thief will um, give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands. Paul tells us to stop stealing and get a job. Takers should become getters. We buy, sell, and trade. When you go to the store and purchase your groceries, you're a getter. When you have a job, you're a getter. All of us are getters at some levels of our life. Maybe because you're here today, you realize, you know, I've been a taker in some areas of my life. I've got to stop that. I'm going to become a getter. And in Thessalonians, Paul was writing to some men who thought Jesus was coming back and they quit work and the church was having to support them. And Paul said, look, you guys can work. You either work or go hungry. That's your choice. Don't ask the church to help you out. They were takers, and Paul said, you need to become getters. Now, let me give you one final word, and that's giver. Giver. We've moved from taker to getter to what? Giver. And the, the end of the verse says this, so as to have something to help share with the needy. Get a job, Paul says, so as to have something to share with the needy. Now, there's a beautiful progression here, and I want to read this verse again and kind of put it together to you. And we're, we're talking about moving from taker to getter to giver. Paul says this, Thieves must give up stealing, rather let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Now, that fast, last part's kind of fascinating to me, because I would have thought Paul would say, uh, get a job so you'll have, you can take care of yourself. Or you might have thought he'd say, get a job so you can take care of your family. Now, the Bible certainly emphasizes caring for your family. But he doesn't say any of that. What does he say? Get a job so you'll what? Have something to share with the needy. When somebody comes to church and stands up and shares about a need in Congo, you can say, oh, we can do that. Let's do it. Because we haven't spent all of our money somewhere else. We've taken care of our needs. We've got some left over, some discretionary income, sometimes people call it. It's a beautiful progression that he talks about as people turn into honest people. They're no longer thieves. They're now gainfully employed, and they can now really enter into kingdom service as givers. So you note the progression with me. Today, Joyce and I have already... Um, given our tithes for this month. We're, we're paid up, if I can be that crude. We've given what we've intended to give. Ten percent of our income has been given this month. But we've got some left over. So when I opened the LA Times this morning and I saw about the earthquake in Indonesia, yet another one great hour of sharing opportunity, I said, let's write a check. And so we have something to give to that. Now, Miriam's mentioned another need, so I think we need to write another check. Are you with me? Or is this just foreign to you? I was talking to Joyce the other day, and, and some Christians are very concerned that Christians are different from their neighbors. You know, if we follow Jesus, shouldn't we be different kind of thinking? And I said to her, you know, it seems to me, and, and people can't see this, but one huge difference for a true follower of Jesus is they give 10% of their income away. You sit down across from some pagan and tell them you do that. They'll look at you like you just fell off the moon. You do what? Well, man, you could be driving a Jaguar with that money. Yeah, but I don't want a Jaguar. You don't want a Jaguar? What's wrong with you? Well, a lot of things, but... Are, are you following me at all? How can you be like God? Well, one way to be like God is to be a giver. 
And as Joyce and I come to Consecration Sunday and revisit this idea of how much are we going to give, it's a chance for me, for us, to sit down and think again, how are we going to be like God? And how are we going to discipline ourselves to not be greedy and grasping and thinking it's all ours and to, to allow God to make us a channel of blessing? So we'll think about that. And I want to encourage you to be here next week for our Consecration Sunday and luncheon. So I, I urge you to be here. So one last time, uh, one more comment. How can you be more like God? Well, you can be like God as you become a generous giver. And I've written a prayer. I'd like you to stand right now with me and to pray this if you would. But I've written a prayer today that uh, I'm going to pray, and you might want to take it home and paste it somewhere where it's prominent and pray it several times during this week. Would you pray this with me? Dear Heavenly Father, You have created me in your own image, and I want to be like you. It is true I have been a taker, and I often seek more and more. I have been a getter, getting this for that. Now and then I have been a giver. Father God, this is my cry for help to become more like you, generously giving as you lead me. Today, here and now, I covenant with you, holy God, to grow in the grace of giving. Lord, I will live out this covenant by considering every dollar you give me as a gift from your hand. I will be generous in giving money as you guide. I pray this in the name of the greatest giver the world has ever known, Jesus. Amen.